Hi, this is Doug Kay, the co-host of All About the Gear, and you're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time billing and get paid faster. Sign up for free at FreshBooks.com and join over 5 million users running their businesses with ease. This is TWIP, episode 448, Fujifilm's X-Factor. The folks over at Fujifilm are continuing to impress and innovate in the mirrorless camera space, this time with the introduction of the X-Pro2. Fuji is returning to its rangefinder influence roots with the inclusion of a hybrid optical viewfinder and several other improvements to this camera that are sure to make any Fuji shooter happy. Also in this episode, we discuss GoPro and the decline of action camera sales, resulting in the company slashing some 7% of its workforce. Is the action camera market saturated, or is it just time to reimagine the product line and diversify? Or maybe both. To discuss these stories and more, I'm joined by Don Komarechka of doncom.ca and Lee Herbert of capturingpassion.com. Also, before we get started, just a quick heads up. I'm excited to be speaking at the Out of Chicago conference, June 24th through 26th. And for a limited time, they're knocking $100 off the registration price if you use the code TWIPCHICAGO when you sign up. No spaces. Just head over to twip.pro slash OOC to see all of the details and see you in the Windy City. It's Monday, January 18th, 2016, and this is TWIP. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me this week to discuss some of the cool happenings in the world of pixel capturing are Mr. Lee Herbert and Mr. Don Komarechka. Hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, Frederick. Very good. Hey, all right. Uh, it is wintertime. It's and you know, there's <laughs> no, this isn't. wet stuff. There's this wet stuff coming from the sky in California. I think in other places it would be frozen like Don's, but it's raining uh, here. We're all in the, the middle time. of a blizzard right now. So thank yeah, you for you? distracting me away from it. Oh, I have like a perverse blizzards. professional obligation to be out there. So thank you so much for dragging me away from that stuff. Good. Yeah, because there's like, you know, you're you're the only person that has an unlimited source of subject matter to take photos of. And, you know, two feet from my back door. So, you know, I'm I, but, you know, tonight it's going down to uh, well, right now it's around minus 15 Celsius. It's going down to around minus 20. That's also perfect weather for photographing freezing soap bubbles, too. So okay. after this podcast, I'm right back out there and I'll be doing some experiments. Uh, I've, uh, I've got a couple of contracts uh for people looking for video with uh, that particular subject in mind. Ah. So I can't disclose exactly who, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty excited about it. That's really cool. You know, hey, multimediography rearing its beautiful head. Speaking of beautiful noggins rearing themselves, <laughs> how's that for a segue, Lee? <laughs> I, was, I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> Mr. Lee Herbert, on the job here, part-time Superman, part-time dad, rocking his kid back and forth there while podcasting. That is a first for this week in photo, Mr. Herbert. Thank you for coming on, man. And they say men can't multitask. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. You're doing it well. Let's see if the baby wakes up during the show. How about that? Wait, he is awake. <laughs> oh, he's awake. So you got a good baby. Look at that. Wow, lucky oh, you. Well, well let's, let's see how we go. <laughs> All right, let's see how it goes. So, Lee, what's been, what's been going on with you, man? Uh, oh, heavens. Um, well, it's not freezing cold here. I might um, just grab the surfboard and go out for a bit of a, a swim later on because it's... Oh. Uh, you know what? It's it's it, it is fire season in Melbourne. So, like last week, for example, I stupidly was out shooting a wedding in forty-two degree Celsius temperatures, which um, I think in Fahrenheit that's about one hundred and ten. Mm. So Jeez. that was that was a bit warm, but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't have that problem right now here. So. Yeah, that's I mean, we, we get maybe one day that gets close to maybe 30, 35 in the summer here. I've never been in, in, in the 40s, so uh, I, I don't envy you at all. Come down and visit. Bring a bathing costume. Yeah. Hey, Lee, Lee <laughs> yes. I got to ask you, man, before we dive into the news, the first story here, um, I am like, you know, I bought a drone, right? So I, yes. I finally got my, my DJI Phantom 3. I'm not going to go into that at all. I've been yakking about that. Um, but I'm thinking about getting that Osmo. So, you know, that handheld gimbal thingamajig. And I've been waiting to talk to you because I know you know about all this stuff. It's your, it's your backyard. What do you think about that thing? I actually had my first play with one um, last week. I went and had a meeting with a mate of mine who, who just got one. And it's really cool. Um, you know what? It's, it's, I spoke to, so the, the guy that I normally shoot weddings for, he's got one. And you know what? It's one. The first thing he said was it has limitations. So as long as you go in understanding that, um, for you know a thousand dollars for what it is, it's a great for those people who don't know what it is. Basically, it's a little stabilizer with the camera built in. So it's almost like you take the camera and the gimbal off of your drone and just hold it in your hands. Um, so it's a little yeah. pistol grip, and it's it's almost like you know sort of like a little flashlight with a camera attached to it, and. Yeah. Um, really cool little settings. You can, it's got a little fault thing on the side. You can attach a smartphone so you can see what you're shooting and you know, the quality of the footage, it's not amazing, but it's, it's, it's pretty darn good for what it is. So I'd say as usual, if you've got the spare money, go get one. It's fun. Well, well, there's that, but it just seems like, it seems like the, almost the ideal camera for like the YouTuber type online person. Because it's little, you know, and it's stabilized. You can flip it around to shoot yourself with. It just it, seems, it, seems it, it has it has a selfie mode. You just triple click the button, and it turns around and faces you. Which, if you don't know, it's going to happen. It's a little, oh, what have I done? Oh, it's a little bit intimidating. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, about that, not to digress too much. I'm going to do a review of that thing. But the uh, one of the issues that I saw in some of the YouTube videos online with that selfie mode thing was that the and I haven't verified this because I have yet to even touch one of those things. But it, uh, they were saying that the minimum focus distance is too long. So, so in order for arms. it to, yeah, <laughs> so you can't, so as a result, the, a lot of the selfie videos that you see that are done with it are soft because yeah. it's too close to the subject. Have you seen that? Did you see that at all? I, I only had 10 minutes to play with it, but I'll, I'll get on the, on, on the blower and, and ask my friend about it because, um, yeah. I mean, look, look, he's, he's a lovely guy, but you don't want him in focus anyway. Light's not his friend. <laughs> it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I wonder if that's something they can fix in firmware, if that's sort of a limitation of the, of the lens and the camera. I don't um, know. I hope yeah. that's not the case. I mean, my, my arms are pretty long, so maybe I can reach outside of oh. that minimum focus distance. But I mean, or, or, that would or, or, be if yeah. that is the case. That would be a huge detractor. Or just me, get a so. just get just get a broom and some duct tape, a selfie stick. Yeah. There you go. 
All right, on that note, guys, let's dive into the show. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. This first story that we have in here is about Fuji. So Fuji has announced the X-Pro2 and the EES2. Jeez, I'm so not familiar with these, these Fuji product lines. Um, so let's see. Let me read some... On the, let me read down some of the uh, features on the X-Pro2 here. So it says, um, so it's returning to its rangefinder roots, and it features an updated hybrid optical and electronic viewfinder. Hybrid. Um, you can overlay a live view screen at the bottom corner of your optical view, so you can confirm focus and exposure. And you can see the whole frame as well as just a zoomed-in portion, if you like. It's got a diopter adjustment dial, so that you can bring the viewfinder into clear focus for those folks that that need assistance. It's a 24 megapixel X-Trans CMOS 3 sensor, and uh, it works together with its new X-Processor Pro, or the X-Processor Pro, and it's capable of shooting continuous phase detection autofocus at up to eight frames per second. Interesting. Um, it's got a new autofocus system with 273 points, 77 of which use the phase detection and cover around 40% of the frame. And the maximum mechanical shutter speed has been doubled to one eight thousandth of a second with an increased flash sync speed of up to one two fiftieth of a second. And you can grab one for $1,699 US. And they announced the XE2S and a new 100 to 400 f4 to 5.6 super telephoto. So they're on fire. They're doing lots of cool stuff. And we'll, you know, there's another camera they announced as well. But particularly, I want to I want to focus on this this new X Pro Two. So Don Komarechka, I know you're you're in the firm camp still. Of you know, I'm not I'm not going to draw any analogies to you know playing music on the deck of the Titanic or anything. But you are. <laughs> You know, the, you have these not are, made the leap to mirrorless yet, even with these kind of things on the horizon. But you know, yeah, I'm looking at these specs and I'm thinking, yeah, that's everything that I would want in like a flagship digital SLR. And this right, isn't something right. much smaller. And some features that, you know, the the uh, the live view in the viewfinder where you could have optics and the LCD overlay and you could choose back and forth. And that mm -hmm. is a fantastic feature. And I, I mean, I, I know that technology has existed in, in many other forms for, for quite a while. And I'm not sure how many other cameras are using it. But I can see that being incredibly useful in a lot of different yeah. scenarios. And I'm pretty certain that I won't be seeing it on a Nikon or Canon uh, digital SLR anytime soon. Yeah, uh, I wonder I, why, though. I mean, I you know, I mean, it's I mean, it's almost a running joke that we keep harping on those guys for not jumping into the mirrorless fray. But at this point, it's just like like you said, it's it's almost a foregone conclusion that they're not going to make they're not going to respond to this kind of thing. So, you know, it's almost well, yeah, like, you know, I, you're, you're driving, a, you know, you have a Tesla over here and a pickup truck and you're complaining that the pickup truck is not like the Tesla. So <laughs> it is what it is. It, right? I, and I think that these are two mutually exclusive things. But it, it's more to the point that no matter which camera you buy today, and I think we can get lost in all the specifics. Yeah. You, if you take a bad picture, it's not the camera's fault. They're all so good. You know, you can only blame yourself for taking a, a rubbish photo. And so I'm, I'm looking at these specs, you know, 24 megapixels, that's more than my 1DX and uh, eight frames per second. Well, that's that's getting close to, uh, to, to what I can do on a pro level camera body. Uh, it's got more autofocus points and it's got a price tag that is a fraction 
of the price tag of what I paid for my camera. Now, yeah, it's like course, a lens. It's like one of your lenses, isn't it? Yeah, well, and, and Canon, I mean, uh, Nikon just announced, of course, their their D5 and the yeah. 1DX successor. The rumors are coming uh, through the woodwork here with some confirmations back and forth. Um, but there hasn't been anything to really wow me, uh, at, at least to, to sway me away from looking at what Fuji and Sony and all of the real innovators in the industry are bringing to the table right now. I know. All right, so, so Lee, let's not compare our current wives to our ex-girlfriends from high school, right? So let's let's look at this camera. Not to their faces, for, no. Not to their faces. They were having beers in the, in the pub or something. Um, so this camera at face value, the X-Pro2, and you, you heard those specs of it. I mean, when you saw this, did, does this make you like, okay, this... It's time to jump into the Fuji camp, or you know, what do you, what do you think of it? It's well, it, it's it's fortuitous timing because I actually was talking to someone at Fuji this morning, and they're they're very excited about this camera. Um, yeah. And I actually I, I did a review. I'll, I'll I've put a link in the show notes already. Um, late last year, I did a review of the XT1, which is kind of what this is sort of replacing, um, or at least yeah. sort of superseding. And Fuji does some beautiful stuff i mean their cameras first of all i love you know I'm, I'm a bit of a snob so i love the look of them they've got the nice retro kind of old style kind of look um and i love dials i love manual controls i don't want to go into a menu i want to be able to do stuff on the body and they've got more dials than you know a space shuttle so yeah so i i love what fuji's doing um unfortunately for me i'm a video guy and their video is not great um but if I was a stills it's photographer... A, on this one, it's 1080. I think I read it. It's 1080 at 60 frames per second is the max that you're going to get out of it. Right? And, and that's, you know, and, and, and that's... If, you, if you're not doing... I'm doing the inverted commas thing, you know, the professional video, you know, they don't have any sort of log format or, you know, the, the, the bit rates and all that kind of stuff. It's not as efficient as, as like the Sonys or, or other systems. Um, but as a stills camera, oh man, like my, my wife studied photography and I had the, the X-T1 for about six weeks and I gave it to her for a month of those six weeks because I couldn't get it back. Wow. Yeah. And and, and, and this camera, like, like for example, the first thing that, that you had in the notes here, uh, sorry, the second thing in the viewfinder where you can bring up the little, little zoomed in window on the side to check your focus, like little touches mm-hmm. like that, that just when you're out shooting, it makes your life easier. So mm-hmm. I yeah. really, I, 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 I know I'm gushing all, all over this thing, but, but seriously, as, as a stills camera, um, the Fujis are really great. And one of the things that um, Fuji was telling me about it, this one this morning was, and, and I, it's not cleared up yet, but with, so you can, you can get an adapter, put like lenses on this and built into the software is actually lens compensation. So for chromatic aberrations and things like that, like you do in Photoshop, it will do it in camera now. Will it detect a Leica lens or? Um, you've you've got to have, well, this is, this is what, like I said to them, is this for all lenses? Like you just get an adapter for Canon or Nikon or what have you. And they were like, Leica. And I was like, so it's just Leica. And they went, Leica. So they were a bit kind of, they, they weren't and they were answering, if that makes sense. So I'm not sure, um, but yeah. So, so with an adapter, it's very easy to get a Leica lens on, onto this camera. Is what I was told. Yeah, well, you have to you have to see. You have to try it in the store or wherever to see what the limitations are. But still, you know, I love this. That's the thing I love about this stuff, guys, because it's the the these kind of innovations. And I was just saying this on a on a, another podcast earlier today, um, but it's 
these kind of innovations, you, you think you have these cameras, like you have this, like I'm shooting Lumix gear and you guys are shooting whatever, but you have these cameras when you first get them, you're like, what more could I ask for? I mean, this, this has more capability than I, th the capabilities of this hardware exceeds my abilities as a photographer right now. And then, you know, a, a year later or whatever, you get these other features that you're like, okay, I got to have that now because... <laughs> You know, I mean, to flip it on this head, you know, I love this camera too. To flip it though, like what the people that have the, you know, the the previous camera was the XT1 or, you know, the 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 predecessor to this camera are the features and Don, I'm going to aim this at you. Are the do you think the features in this body warrant them getting gear lust and upgrading if, if you know their camera's working fine should they jump over to this or is it just you know just keep shooting man that, that's a trick question frederick because nothing it's warrants gear lust uh, <laughs> you know i mean the camera that you have is awesome the way it is it won't stop you from wanting something better uh there's nothing to stop that uh, and yeah. so it just the, the problem is where will you spend your next photography dollar Will it be on a new lens? Will it be on a new camera body? Will it be on software or accessories or tripods? Whatever it happens to be, you're going to be spending that money on something photographically related. Would it be in your best interest to buy a new camera body if you've already got a great one? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say uh, take take some money. Uh, invest in an area of photography that you've never explored before. Get a camera converted to infrared. Buy a tilt shift lens or a fisheye lens or something just completely off the mark that you haven't played with yet. And one day with that, you'll gain so much knowledge, creativity. It'll be like rediscovering photography for yourself instead of buying a camera that is just an upgrade on what you've already got. Yeah, you know, on the surface, you'll you might get higher quality digital results, but it's the creativity that really makes a photographer. So go down that road. Sage, sage words. Lee, what, what about you? I mean, wait, you're going to say the opposite. I know you. You're you, spend you all the money. Permanent gear lust. You're like, go buy it. Go buy it. You need it. You need it. it you know, I, I think I think if you if you've got the XT one. Um, you should sell it really cheap to me and go and get this new one. <laughs> yeah 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 if I, no, no no you no, should you, you should give the xt1 to me what am i thinking <laughs> i know give there's a g word <laughs> i don't know this is crazy so the, another piece of news that was in this announcement was that fuji or fuji film um is expanding the range of lenses with the longest x mount lens yet it's the xf that 100 400 f56 now that lens that we mentioned earlier it's weather sealed it's super telephoto and it will extend to around, um, basically, it's a 600 millimeter lens in its full frame equivalents. And that's going to be available for just about the same price as that body. So this is seven, eight, what, $1,900 for that, whereas the that new um, X-Pro2 is $1,700. So interesting numbers, especially when you contrast these numbers with DSLR prices of years gone by, right? Because you used to look at Nikon D4s and whatever. I'm not sure what the D5 is priced at right now, but it's in the, what, three, $4,000 range, right? Mm. For the body only. So, you know, it's a different dynamic for, or albeit like we're saying, pickup trucks versus Teslas. And maybe that's not a fair, con you know, comparison, but let's say Teslas versus some other high-tech awesome car, you know, um, competing against each other with with completely different purposes, but with a with a price difference of fifty percent. So I don't know. It's making the problem, making the issue of not moving harder. I don't know. What do you What do you guys think? 
I, I'm entrenched in in my current outfit. I mean, there's gear yeah. that I and use. There's the glass thing too. Never, don't yeah. The, well, the I, mean, of the glass. I do a lot of extreme macro photography, and Canon makes an exceptional lens for that. And uh, yeah, even Nikon and, and Sony, and nobody else makes a lens of that equivalence. Um, and I've got a ring flash that mounts perfectly on the front of that lens, right? And so that if I were to take all of that uh, gear and try to adapt it to another camera body from another manufacturer, it just the, the pieces don't fit together properly. So I'd need to find a perfect solution or at least adapters that work perfectly with another manufacturer. And I, I just I can't see that happening. You know, just recently, I, uh, I uh, announced a, a poster that had taken me five years to, to produce with like 400 different snowflake images on it. Oh, you mean that one that and I purchased? Yeah, the I'm, one that I'm you having purchased. framed right now? Oh, yes. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, I had to measure all of the snowflakes on that particular um, uh, print, right? And that, that was painstaking work, but it required the lens to communicate to the camera body what its ma uh, magnification factor was set to. And that's a special area of EXIF data stored in uh, something called maker notes that I have to pull out of the raw data for each image that I want to reference. I needed that for part of the algebraic equation, blah, blah, blah. But I needed Thanks. the lens to talk to the camera body in a way that only the manufacturer could design. I, if I were to take that lens, put it on a Sony a7R II or something similar, you know, a really high-class camera, I would yeah. get everything in the image except stuff like that. And so I have to find one manufacturer that does it all for me. And right now, sadly, that's Canon. Uh, yeah. Unless Canon comes out with a really kick-ass mirrorless system or, you know, they... they uh, uh, just sort of uh, blow me over with the uh, the the 1DX successor uh, that uh, rumors are a February announcement is uh, is coming up for that. You yeah. know, I, it just makes me sad to see all these wonderful cameras that I can do wonderful things with, but because of all the strange niche cases that I have, I don't think that I could bite the bullet and buy them. No, Don. When you start talking about algebraic equations and maker <laughs> notes and all that stuff. It makes me feel like we're beaming down to the planet's surface and I have a red shirt on. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, exactly. <laughs> I'm one of those guys and you got the yellow shirt up there and, you know, and I'm and you're like, Frederick, you know, secure the perimeter. Never to be seen again. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's Frederick. Yeah. D discover uh, the, 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 the lost party, you know, that has gone down yeah. to the planet before you and then you, exactly. you disappear as well. Exactly. I don't know. Lee, you you take it from a different standpoint. Just to keep the conversation on switching costs, right? So you've got a ton of video gear and, you know, like, like I said, like I like to say, you have a camera that you outfit with an Iron Man suit when you go out <laughs> to shoot, right? So does do the switching costs and seeing these new pieces of gear, do they, is are the switching costs higher for you than, say, a normal, you know, mortal? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Bow down before me. <laughs> Simon says hi. Um, well, I mean, I actually, I did, I mean, when I switched from Canon to all the other systems that I switched to and finally settled on Sony, um, I was using all still stuff. You know, I've only recently moved up to sort of owning bigger cameras I would rent, but now I own the nice Sony FS7. Um, cool. and, but so what I would say to people, if you are thinking of switching over and the cost is seeming like a really big deal to you, don't, you know, don't have to, you know, you don't have to do it all at once. So, for example, um, like, like Sony helped me get over the line. So when the A7S first came out, um, I don't know if they were doing it in other geographies, but in Australia they were doing a promotion where you would buy the Sony A7S and they would give you a Metabones adapter of your choice for free. 
Mm. So interesting. for free, for, for free. Well, it was bundled in. I'm sure. Trust me, they made their money. But you know, so there was. You know, you, you get a voucher and you send it in, and you get a, an adapter sent in. And I think that lasted for about three months. And I think that was genius because. You know, if I looked at that and went, oh, look, I've got to buy the, the camera body. I've got all Canon lenses. So either I've got to switch over to Sony lenses, which is going to cost me a fortune, or I've got to buy, you know, a four $500 adapter. That's not cheap either. Whereas, you know, they made it easy because it's like, look, buy our camera. We'll give you an adapter so you don't have to buy any new lenses. You can keep using the lenses you've got. Mm-hmm. So I would say to people, you know, look, if you are thinking of making the switch, if you've got the money, yep, go for it. Do everything right away. Um, but if you don't have the money, but you do want to make the switch, do it gradually, you know, get a body, get an adapter. Um, you don't have to get the fancy expensive adapters. If you are okay with manual focus, you can get, you know, dumb adapters, which are like, you know, $30, $40 and just give it a go, get started. And, and, and you could do it over this period of a couple of years to switch over all of your stuff. Um, and then also you can sort of, I know a lot of people that have switched, they've kept their Nikons or their Canons as a little safety blanket for the first year or so, just in case. And after a year of those things, just gathering dust, they kind of go, I should probably get those for sale somewhere. Yeah, no, no, I'm in the same boat. So my, I haven't been able to pry my, I haven't been able to force myself to get rid of my Nikon gear. So I still have all my Nikon gear in my glass, but it's been gathering dust and I haven't, I haven't shot with it and it's got to be going on two years now. So it's a, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. I don't even know if the batteries will hold a charge anymore. So I should probably, I should probably pull them out and uh, do a run through of that stuff. Um, All right, guys, let's move on to the next story. Story number two is about our friends over at GoPro. This is a sad story. So the company just announced that it will be cutting its workforce by 7%. That equates to roughly 700 people after seeing big declines in the sales of its action camera over the past year or so. Their annual revenue has grown 16% to $1.6 billion in 2015, but they saw a big drop in revenue in the fourth quarter. The company is expecting revenue of about $435 million for the quarter, far less than analysts were expecting, and about 30% less, less than the four, or $634 million that it brought in the fourth quarter um, the preceding year in 2014. So all that to say that... Uh, Things aren't as rosy as they were a couple of years ago in the action camera GoPro space when everyone had one. Everywhere you look, I mean, there are kiosks in in all three airports here in the Bay Area that sell GoPros. I mean, they're they're everywhere. So I'm interested to know you your takes. Uh, you know, Lee, we'll start with you. Like, what's your take on this decline? Is the is the whole glow of action camera? You know, the whole idea of being able to capture yourself skiing and water skiing and all that stuff. Is that allure gone or is it because of the deluge of competitors like Sony and all these other guys that are jumping in with highly capable and sometimes even superior action cameras? What do you think? I'd say it's the second one. I'd say to begin with, it's a challenge for GoPro because I think they've sold a camera to everyone on the planet. Pretty much, yeah. you know, I, I've done a fair bit of traveling over the last couple of years and you see GoPros, every, like people who you would never think of, like it's almost become like a point and shoot for tourists because it's easy to carry, it's easy to take photos, it's easy to get on those infernal selfie sticks. And so I think to begin with, they saturated the market. So it's difficult to grow when you've kind of sold one to everyone. But I think also the challenge is that 
there, there's a lot of cheap knockoffs around now. And mm-hmm. I don't think they've differentiated themselves well enough for people to go, well, I should get the brand name, which is GoPro, as opposed to a cheap knockoff. Like, I don't think they've they've made a good story about why I should go with the brand name as opposed to a knockoff. Yeah, no, I, I, that makes sense too. The other thing is that the the rise of GoPros was is kind of or is slash was kind of paralleling the the rise of drones, right? Because before, what was it, the Phantom Two? You had to put the GoPro on there. It was designed specifically to carry a GoPro or similar sized camera. So it was kind of, you know, the marriage made in heaven. And then of course, as we know, DJI decided to make their own camera, thus uh, eliminating the necessity to put a GoPro on there. Don Komareczko, what about you? What do you, what do you think? What's happening in the space? Is it just GoPro or is it action cameras in generally in general that are, that are kind of contracting? Well, I, I think action cameras in general have, I the, the market is not contracting. I don't think at all. Uh, I mean, you've got Sony, Nikon, heck, even I think there's one branded with Kodak um, yeah, as is. well. And see, you see so much diversity in the market now that didn't exist in the heyday when GoPro was negotiating their contracts to get the, the kiosks and stands and camera stores and just about everywhere else. Um, and so when I'm looking at these numbers, I'm thinking this is not not a scary thing for GoPro. This is just the reality of the changing market. And I think mm. that they're still doing quite well in that. I think the number was uh, that they've let go 100 people, not 700, as you said, Frederick. Uh, oh, did I say 700? The, yeah. Oh. Uh, 100 is still a lot of people. But yeah. um, I, I'm looking oh, at... 7% and 100 people. Okay. Yeah, so, I, thanks for correcting me. But, but I, I'm looking at these numbers and I'm thinking, with the amount of competition that has arisen from so many other sources, it looks like GoPro is still holding their ground. I mean, they, they're they slimming down because they realize this competition is there. And and to, to echo uh, what, what you guys have both been saying, uh, if you had a GoPro from five years ago, do you really have a reason to buy a new one today? I mean, if you already have one, the technology has not advanced sufficiently where you feel like your existing equipment is limiting you. Um, it, it's not a luxury item, uh, and I say that kind of loosely with air quotes, like your best camera will be, uh, like you're, you're, uh, you're lusting after the, the next digital SLR or mirrorless or whatever it happens to be uh, that, that's on your wish list. The GoPro is always going to be a secondary thing. And so if it doesn't give you something that completely revolutionizes what you already have, you're not going to buy it. And that's not just for GoPro. That's true for every action camera on the market today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. It's uh, what do you say? It's what you, but you, what you both said is it's saturated, right? So it could be that the market is saturated. And like you said, what's the point of getting something new of the one that I have? And I didn't, they're not cheap either. And I spent mm. good money for this one. Why should I, why should I upgrade? So well, yeah, becomes, look at okay. the price point because I, for that price, you could buy a really, <sighs> really good mirrorless camera and potentially two, maybe even three lenses if you're looking for variety on the cheap end. And how much more usefulness could you get out of that compared to a GoPro? Probably yeah. it's more flexible yeah. as a piece of gear and the mirrorless cameras are getting smaller and smaller. So uh, it's not just that the action camera market is saturated and competing with itself i think that the mirrorless market is taking a bit of an edge out of it as well yeah 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 it's sad and you, and you look at this stuff and it's um you know you we of course we're playing armchair quarterback here so you know i'm sure smarter people than we are that have more invested in making that company succeed are figuring out how to how to you know uh 
turn it turn the thing around and keep it in the air but you know you look at it from from my from my armchair quarterback standpoint i'm thinking okay it's diversification time guys right so if if the air is coming out of the action cam balloon how do you di- diversify and one of the ways that they're planning on diversifying at least according to the news and um from the ceo he says they say later in 2016 um, they are planning, and this is GoPro, they're planning on launching their own drone uh, to, I guess, you know, which will obviously be in competition with DJI, who's the market leader in these consumer drones right now. And there's lots of companies that are selling these drones now on the consumer side. So GoPro will be another company that enters into that space, albeit with a really, really strong brand and a really loyal customer base. So I don't know. Lee, do you think do you think the drone moving into the drone space right now in 2016 can save GoPro or, or at least kind of level it off? Uh, well, as you said, there's much smarter people than us, so I'm really not yeah. sure. Um, I, I did read another article about this where apparently the CEO said that they felt that uh, one of the big factors towards us was their initial pricing for the cheap GoPro that they brought out because their cheap one, I think it started out at about 599 and over a period of weeks, it dropped to 499, 299, I think eventually 199. And they felt that, you know, he sort of came out and said, I admit I made a mistake. We came out too high. Like if it's cheap, 599 isn't cheap or 399, whatever it was. And they dropped the price yeah. quite significantly, but it was kind of too late. They'd missed the Christmas rush. Um, in terms of coming out with a drone, wow, has that, has that horse bolted? Because like there's it's particularly after this last christmas there's so much out there from a whole bunch of different manufacturers um so you know power to them but i, I really don't see how like what it, they would have to come out with something that's got some really cool features at a really good price point um yeah. to be competitive in that which field. is not which is not outside of the realm of no, possibility no. i was thinking about this earlier i was thinking about you know because i have this drone and I was thinking, and I, there's a bunch of really cool drones out there, all different form factors and capabilities. And, you know, DJI is no longer the only, you know, game in town. Mm. So I'm looking at it and I was thinking, I was trying to compare this, the stickiness of DJI or st- sticking with the DJI brand versus going with another brand and kind of overlaying cameras. Like I shoot Panasonic Lumix. And I have a lot of investment in glass and accessories and all that stuff, which means it's hard for me to switch there. But on the drone side, it's not that hard to switch, right? So, I mean, when you buy a drone, yeah, they're expensive. But if you feel like you want to sell your drone and move to another one, you don't. there's not a whole lot saying, okay, well, I have all these drone lenses and accessories that go with this one drone, so I can't switch. The switching costs are much lower with a drone if you want to move over to something. And that might be a good sort of uh you know way for gopro to tackle the market saying hey you know come over to us i don't know what do you what do you think don well they would have to come up with a product that uh that that it is it like a super high class item like uh, like lee had said something that uh you know goes toe to toe with the best that dji has uh, if only just from a branding perspective to to make them known as a quality purveyor of such devices um but at, at the end of that you know will people buy it well it, they've got to have a value proposition at that high end and at a lower end you know you've got to have um the 
the the the brand and the, the quality that people uh, that rave about in reviews, how awesome this particular drone is, how it's better than anything else on the market, and then of course to to sell that and a less expensive one for people that are aspiring but don't have the budget for the big one. Um, to do that, you need a lot of money. Uh, right. GoPro has it. I mean, they, their their revenue. I mean, they can go into product development for something that really hits the mark. Um, they better do it soon, though, because if the trend continues with the action cam market, they won't be in a position to uh, to sort of shift gears much in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Regardless, I mean, this is this is the point where these companies get really innovative, right? They start. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the crazy Ivan time. <laughs> They're gonna do something really interesting to uh, to to bring the focus back onto them and away from the you know the stock price and layoffs and all that. So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited for this whole thing because you look you look at this stuff and now we have all this stuff to get excited about as photographers. We've got these mirrorless cameras, of course. We've got even changes happening on the DSLR front. We've got aerial cameras. We got handheld gimbal stabilized cameras. We've got all this stuff to make images with that Lee gets to spend all his money on. <laughs> so well, wasn't there even a, wasn't there a drone displayed at CES prototype success or not that you could actually ride in and then you I could carry that. your own camera with you there. Uh, so if you're a diehard photographer and you want a drone, well, then that is the drone for you. Well, uh, I don't know. I, we talked about that on the show and it, it's a long ways off, so it's not here yet. They showed a prototype. And secondly, I believe the flight time was similar to the flight times you get with consumer drones like the Phantom. So <laughs> like 20 minutes, you know, in the air, which is kind of cool. It'd be cool for like a ride for a second or two. But, you know, if I'm going to fly around in something, I want a couple hours, an hour at least in the air before I have to. You know, and and I can't imagine how long it takes to charge that thing up to get. Yeah, really. Up. Well, as battery right. technology improves, and and as all yeah. of this tech surrounding all of these gadgets that we are constantly lusting after continues to get better and better, uh, you know what? We're we're gonna have the best of everything in the next decade, and uh, yeah. and and at that point, we will still wait for the next great thing. It's not like that race is ever gonna end. You know, you know what I'm thinking. That that little human that Lee is over there rocking back and forth. Yeah, that's the benefactor of all this stuff that we're beta testing right now. Well, you know, what? <laughs> so. I, I, you know, I like I think I, I think about that quite often. Where I look, like I look at stuff that I shot with my family. You know, ten even just ten years ago, and like you know, like my wife and I were watching something. And she's like, "Oh my god, I can tell this is old because it's in SD format. You know, it's not in widescreen." And you know, yeah. we can tell right away today 10 years ago what the technology is imagine like when he's 20 he'll be like you had to watch things on flat stuff like you didn't have holograms what what was wrong with you people yeah y'all know by then it'll be you know what was it there was a science fiction series i think it's on netflix called um uh what is it black mirror have you guys seen that no that i haven't it's on my to watch oh, list you have to watch this series all right twip listeners Stop whatever you're doing, pull over to the side of the road, pull out your phone and, you know, star, bookmark, whatever, Black Mirror, if you have Netflix. This series is ridiculous. The only caveat that I give you is don't judge it by the first episode. <laughs> so, the first episode, I'm not going to give it away, but it has to do with, you know, pigs. But let's just see, get pa say get past the first episode. And the reason I bring that up is because they paint this interesting future where there's all the many of the technologies that we have today have gotten to the level of just 
you know, uh, what do you like human integration where, you know, screens in your eyes and things that pop up automatic. It's just crazy. And it's, and it's, it's one of the, it's one of the best or the, the most well done science fiction series that I've ever seen. And that says a lot. It's kind of like a hybrid between her. Remember her? Mm-hmm. So that movie, her with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. So her and ex machina. So it's kind of it's got that kind of real world gritty hipster feel where science fiction is secondary to the overall plot. So it's it's really interesting. I would uh, that's going to be my pick of the week anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and preempt my pick of the week because I can do that. Spoiler. There's a new photography conference on the scene and it's called Out of Chicago. And it's the brainchild of my friend Chris Smith. The event happens in Chicago, June 24th through 26th, and this will be the third year and the biggest yet. This year, the lineup of speakers is kind of incredible, featuring amazing photographers and educators like Rick Salmon, Brian Peterson, Scott Bourne, Valerie Jardin, and even myself. There'll be cool workshops, portfolio reviews, photo walks, photo crawls, and a ton more. And I'll be leading several workshops, including the time-traveling photographer, the photographer's guide to marketing, and more. Plus, we'll be recording an episode of TWIP live in front of an audience, so you can join us and ask questions, and maybe you'll even make it into the show. So here's a really good part. For a limited time, the Out of Chicago team is knocking $100 off the registration price if you use the code TWIPCHICAGO when you sign up. Remember, this event happens June 24th through 26th, so sign up now and use the code TWIPCHICAGO to get a full $100 knocked off of the ticket price. Just head over to twip.pro slash OOC to see all the details. That's twip.pro slash OOC. And I'll see you in the Windy City. All right, guys, let's move on from this drone talk and get into our our third and final story. So this is about uh, Tyler Shields. He's a photographer, a celebrity photographer. And, you know, we'll link to the story in here. So basically, without going into too much details, I hate talking about these stories that when when there's a lot of he said, she said and subjectivity in there. But the gist of this is he it looks like he is uh, taking getting inspired by other people's work to the extreme. So you look at that. So basically they had an example of a shot and a shot that he did versus a shot someone else did. And there are certain similarities in that shot. So I wanted to bring it up to you guys, to this panel, to talk about the, you know, what is creative inspiration versus copying versus that whole notion of there's nothing new under the sun. So Lee, what what do you think? Did you see the before the two pictures that we're we're comparing here, and and was it a blatant copy or is it just hey I was inspired and I wanted to try something like that? I had a very interesting uh, yeah I was very interested to look at the article because I, I I sort of read the blurb and then I thought oh you know how 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 obvious could this be? And quite frankly, if it looks like a duck, if it acts like a duck, if it's got a little name that says <laughs> hi my name's duck I'll be your server tonight it's a bloody duck. <laughs> I love it. See, I love. See, Lee Herbert cuts right to the bone. None of that political tap dancing. None of that stuff. It's like if the thing looks like a duck, it's a duck. 
Come on. And, and you know, th- th- there's a few of the shots where I kind of go, oh, like, I'll give him, okay, well, look, it's similar, but it's, 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 it's far enough that it, like, he hasn't copied. But most of them, he's copied the photos. And, you know, like, yeah. like you say, people get inspired. Like, I do that. Like, I'll see a movie and I'll go, oh, my, like, wow, I love the way that they've, they've, they've composed that shot. I've got to remember how they did the lighting with that because I want to recreate that lighting in a shot. But I'm not going to have the exact same scene. I'm going to copy the style. You know, so, and again, everyone's got their own lines where they think, you know, this is okay and this isn't okay. So in my line is, I think it's okay to look at a style and go, wow, like I love the color grade that that cinematographers use. And I love the way that they've, you know, revealed the scene from over trees or something like that. But I'm not going to go and find the exact same trees and reshoot the shot and change the color a little bit and go, oh, no, it's completely different. Like in the article, the guy apparently says that he doesn't look at anybody else's work. Yeah, that's what got me right there. I mean, it's one thing if you say, okay, well, I'm inspired by a lot of different people, but to blatantly deny it and then having such obviousness to everything – it just drives me crazy. Like I'm looking at some of the shots and, and like you said, Lee, some of them like a woman in curlers smoking, yeah. um, you know, you might even have a photo like that in, in a shoebox in your closet from your grandmother or something. I mean, th- there are some of these that are uh, potentially just, you know, coincidence, a woman in a milk bath. Well, that's getting a little bit further away from the, uh, the, the obvious, you know, scrolling through this list, there's people kissing in front of a train. Well, how many pictures of people kissing in front of a train or a subway, uh, subway car are there in the world? There's probably a lot. But, you know, somebody with a fake eyeball in their mouth making a lip puckering kind of thing or a woman that is uh, being chased by a biplane in a field. I mean, yeah. This is just like this is a fingerprint and you are copying it so exactly. And you know what? I, I, I'm reminded actually of a case uh, that, that went to court a couple of years ago in the UK um, of where a photographer took uh, uh, the, the exact same style and roughly the same location and same subject matter of a, uh, a double-decker bus that was uh, in, uh, you know, you had um, a big band and, and, and a lot of stuff in the background and it was selective color. So everything was black and white, but the bus was red. And um, the framing was different. Uh, so like it wasn't an exact copy. It was more different than a lot of these ones are. Yeah. But the case, the judge decided that it was copyright infringement all the same. And so, I mean, what do we do? Uh, I, I'm looking at some of these images here by names that I, I recognize, like uh, Anne Leibovitz. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm afraid that I don't recognize some of the, the names of the original photographers that are really awesome. Uh, and I should yeah. probably study up on them. But yeah. they should sue him, is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I don't know if they'll succeed or not. But uh, the Professional Photographers of America should kind of go up in arms here. To say, okay, well, you've got somebody that is doing some blatant, I, I, I want to say, almost destructive work. I mean, you. But what do you do? I mean, you. I mean, they're not. Uh, you know, devil's advocate here. Looking at these shots here, obviously they're inspired, and in some cases, just blatant copies. I'd be pissed off if I was the original artist and I saw someone recreate this thing that I had this awesome epiphany, and then I wouldn't created it. And now somebody's just gonna like you know, parasite onto it and make their own work. So yeah, I feel that. But on the legal side of it, it's different. I mean, that's like, it's almost like, you know, remember the whole idea of rappers sampling music from old songs and remixing it into their songs. It becomes a new piece at that point. And he's not even taking 
he's not doing a shepherd fairy and taking someone's work and remixing it he's taking their idea and redoing it with his you know albeit the same kind of non-creative yeah. approach to it but it's still different I've, yeah. I've, 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 I've got an idea what do you say we copy every one of his images change the color slightly and, and have an exhibition called copy of a copy we could do that <laughs> legally. You can absolutely do that. Well, le- legally in the U.S., I guess. I mean, in the this in one the US, story yes. in the U.K., I mean, that set a precedent over there. I don't think that there's any such case uh, that would ever get through the courts in the U.S. So, I mean, I don't know if people could win in the court of law. I, I don't know if it's been tested to the extent that it should, but it, it hasn't been done yet. So then we're left. It's like a story. Like Don, let's take let's take this let's take an example of a story, right? So, if if someone writes a story or a novel or whatever. And you enjoy that novel, and then you go write using the same storyline, different character names, <coughs> excuse me, different character names, all that stuff is different, but you go ahead and you know, you write it based on your inspiration from the original author. Are you plagiarizing? You're not word you're not copying word for word, you're just rewriting it in your own words, but with the same ideas and pacing and sequencing and all that. It's a legal gray area. You're right. Uh, So then what do we have? We have the court of law and we have the court of public opinion. And so right right now we are sort of fighting a battle in the court of public opinion. Um, So if we can, like the reason why, like he's selling these images in a gallery for many multiple thousands of dollars uh, on the backs of other people's works. And who knows if the original photographer ever made that much money from their original piece of work he might have made more money from it than they ever did and that's a real yep. shame and so i you know i'm glad we're bringing this to light and i want people to go and see this comparison i don't know what action people can take except to possibly give this more exposure to stop people from going in to this gallery and spending money on these pieces that in in my opinion spend the money on the original work from the original artist at the same price and you will be doing the world a service In fact, Frederick, I've got an alternative to your comparison because you compared it to, you know, what if like fan fiction, but I'd say this is rather he's stealing people's cars and repainting them and then reselling them. Uh, It's different. It's It's a tough analogy to make. Yeah, that's tough because yeah, yeah, that's stealing someone's car is, is obviously that's a crime and you're stealing their property and then repainting it. So that's different. We're talking if, Ford creates this awesome new car and they spend a million, two million, five, ten, twenty, thirty million dollars in R&D building this new kind of car. And then Chevy looks at it and then creates a very similar car <laughs> looking at what Ford did almost down to the, you know, the spacing and all the innovations. They're all in there, but they're they're reimagined from a Chevy standpoint is chevy wrong well Well, you look at the cell phone industry for this because there have Mm. been lawsuits going back and forth all over the place um not so many anymore because i think that they've kind of uh, agreed to disagree and settlements have been made and what have you but on smartphone designs every smartphone kind of looks the same in a general sense they all have specific things but Mm -hmm. apple was all over everybody that was coming out especially at the apple and samsung uh patent battles um and i think that they've come to agreements now at this point but they, they were different but very similar and so yeah. that was battled out in the courts for years yeah I'm, I'm still i mean i understand apple's standpoint because before apple announced that iphone the whole idea of a simple sheet of glass that you touch stuff on no one was doing it 
They came out. They did the iPhone. It became successful. Now everyone started doing it. Okay, you know they were to the well, same you know. point though, Frederick. The idea of a uh, of a half naked woman uh, wearing high heels and leggings going through a man made mouse hole in a wall is a fairly unique thing. It and is. so when somebody creates exactly the same thing, I mean, I I would be up in arms the same way that Apple was. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but. In the case of Apple, they had patents on that. So hardware True. You versus You can't patent something art. like this, though. This is the problem you is you can't patent an art idea. Or an idea. Yeah, you cannot patent an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you could so you could be looking or TWIP listeners, you know, we're, we're showing these images in the YouTube video. So if you want to come check them out and we'll also link to the page that I'm showing in the notes here. But if TWIP listeners want to recreate this mouse hole image, they could totally do it. Right. And call it their own. You know, have your wife crawl through a little piece of paper and wall that you create and they would call their own if they did that are they who are they copying at that point are they copying tyler shields in the case of this image or or guy board in yeah and and <laughs> yeah exactly well i think i think i mean look it's it's different for different products you know like you say you can't compare it to a car um th- there just seems to be a, a disconnect for, for different things like so you know some people will feel that it's fine to do that with automobiles, whereas it's not okay to do it with phones or it's not okay to do it with images. So I think with images, I think because like in terms of, I suppose we've got to think about what is it that the guy's actually copying. And with some of these images, what the guy's copying is the essence of what, and that's really an airy fairy kind of thing, but what the essence of what makes the image striking or what catches someone's attention. So yeah. You know, it's one of those things like, you know, if, if you copied one element, okay. But if you've copied everything, it's like, well, I, I suppose for my thing, it's like, I think people just expect creative people to be creative. And this seems like very lazy and inverted commas creativity. Yeah, no, no, you're right. But then, you know, that the word essence, I can't imagine a lawyer arguing essence in a court of law. They'll in any try. Country, you know, so... Yeah, you can try all day long, but it's it's subjective, you know. There's no way that you can yeah. you can prove, you know, essence. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, like you're like you guys said in the court of public opinion. Obviously, it's you know it's ripoff, but legally, um, there. I don't know. I we have to get some lawyers on here to see what if there's a legal recourse to something like this. Because I'm looking looking at that first image with the with the women and the tongues and all that stuff. That's obvious obvious i mean like who, like don you're saying who would come up with a shot like that <laughs> yeah like it is so identically similar that yeah. you know and, and there are a number of them in this series and i haven't looked at the entire body of work that tyler shields has produced um this mm-hmm. is a sample of it in this article that we've got linked to um but even from just this sample um i i, I can't believe him and and i don't know what action can be done to make the original artists uh, kind of regain their own fame because Tyler's images are probably more exposed than the original images that he that, that, that he used as a foundation for his own work. 
And so what do we do? Well, we, we expose this, we talk about it, that's great. And we hope that the audience that's listening to us talk about this will carry that even farther. I mean, uh, we've, we've got uh, a whole army of people out there listening that uh, they, they, they can take up their arms. They, they, they can do something about They can share this post. They can, uh, they can tweet and blog about it. They can do something to bring shame to, to these actions. Right, and and right. Here's, here's, yeah, we've here's, had similar here's, things in the wedding photography space too, with people copying wedding. I mean, in the, the some of the controversies that we had in 2013 were blatant, you know, saving the images and reposting them. Oh, and, and uh, I, I forget the guy's name. I really should remember because he's infamous. The guy on Instagram that was just taking other people's images yeah. and 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 selling them for thousands of dollars and putting up a gallery, like not taking the same photo like Tyler is, but identically just like copy and paste. This is mine yeah. now. And, right. and so this behavior has to stop. Uh, and it, it's unfortunate that the legal system hasn't caught up with it in a way that I would deem, you know, uh, in, in, in accordance with justice, I, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, with this guy, so Tyler Shields, again, we have to wait and see how this plays out. But according to a rep for Guy Hepner, that's a gallery that sells Shields' work. His photographs sell for between $5,000 and $15,000 each. And Shields himself has claimed that his work sells for as much as $175,000. And he <sighs> shot a host of celebrities, including Lindsay Lohan, Aaron Paul, Demi Lovato, etc., etc. And his work has been exhibited in galleries around the world. Well, I, well, so I, don't know. Yeah, I, I tell yeah, you what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was just going to say that I, I wrote about the entire process that I've uh, that I've gone through for photographing snowflakes in a book that I've published. And if you buy that and you follow that, you will create almost identical work to my own, except the subject matter that you're photographing is inherently unique to that particular subject that you found in front of your camera. And I don't mind that one bit. I do it my way. You do it yours. And we're all going to come up with something inherently unique. And it doesn't diminish my work at all. But I'm a... I'm giving that away for people. I am saying, okay, if you want to do the same technique, then here it is in, in every possible detail for you to replicate and then find ways to make it your own. And I'm okay with that. That's one thing. But to have just, ah, I'm repeating myself. I'll stop. <laughs> on that, yeah, I was going to say on that topic, Don, what if someone creates an awesome grid poster of snowflakes that is you know, in terms of the technical competency and spacing and everything, the same as yours. But as we know, the rumor has it that those two snowflakes are alike. So so his work, obviously, his or her work is going to be different than yours. Is it copyright infringement at that point? Because they decided to do and and you wrote a book on how to do it, as you say. So, you know, if, some, if somebody wants to put twenty five hundred hours into doing exactly the same thing, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's I've got a I've got a question. Would we care so much if it was some guy selling these in a flea market for ten dollars each, as we care so much because the guys you know making a thing load of money from it? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I, don't know. I, I personally would care on principle if yeah, I would yeah. see somebody bootlegging stuff. You know, I. I I find that a, a crime uh, equally as this. The, the, the bigger crime here, though, is that the, the audience that the um, sort of the replicated work is getting beyond what the original may have ever received, uh, or at least in modern times. I mean, I'm seeing some of them, the, the picture that I had just previously mentioned with the woman in the mouse hole. Um, the original image was done in 1979, and the audience for that would probably have been much, much smaller than today. 
and True. and so now the image that's being uh, shown off and being sold is getting far far more exposure than the original and the original is getting absolutely zero credit not even a mention that it's being uh, that that was the mm. the influence or the inspiration for this new work and i think that would is that the help? i mean would you guys be happy if he did that if he had you know created these images and at the bottom had a, in a really tiny font or something or in the caption even said inspired by Andy Leibovitz or something like that. Would that help at all? I, I, I think it would, actually. It, it, it would be a start. I mean, uh, you might say inspired by uh, inspired by them and, and, and have that posted. That might make the original artist uh, even angrier. I'm not sure. It depends on the person. But it what would it would do is... would happier. Yeah. Uh, it, what it would do is it would devalue the originality of his work and he wouldn't be able to sell it for the prices that he's selling it. So maybe that would be a good thing, but I'm still not happy about the whole idea. No, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it uh, leaves a, a sour taste in my mouth. Um, and I'm looking at that first image, so maybe that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on uh, to our listener Q&A segment. Each week we uh, answer a question from one of our listeners. This week's question is from Oscar Vargas. And Oscar says... I don't like my camera hanging behind me when walking around New York City since it's an expensive full-frame DSLR with a 24 to 70 f2.8 lens on it. I don't think a holster works in a in a crowded sidewalk or building. The cotton carrier looks interesting, but how will it work over a coat in the winter having that all, all that on in a summer day? The peak design clip looks great, but if but if you're not carrying a backpack, then you can't use it. What do you guys think? If he, this guy wants to carry a camera around in a holster type configuration, what would you suggest? What, what do you usually? Um, well, actually, I, I just, well, first of all, I use mirrorless cameras so they're nice and light. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but I, um, I've just got a, a little, a little hand grip. So it's, you know, just mm -hmm. like a little, little thing that clips into the side of the camera and then just wraps around my wrist and, Again, because the camera's not that heavy, I can just let it dangle from that, um, and I don't really worry about it too much. But I suppose it depends on how how long you're going out for. Because like, I don't think carrying the camera for a couple of hours is that big of a deal. Um, alternatively, I do have one of those straps, and I just strap it around the front if I'm if I'm feeling a bit um, cautious about the neighborhood that I'm walking through. So yeah, that that'd be yeah. that'd be my solution. Good. You know, I'll add to that. So he, he mentioned that the Peak Design clip looks great, but if you're not carrying a backpack, you can't use it. You can put that Peak Design clip on your belt yeah. and vertically and slide your camera into it. Because, uh, you know, depending on the clip you get, they have some, uh, you know, clips that are square that would just that mount to the, or you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The Arca Swiss plates that mark that mount to the bottom of your camera. You can just slide it right in there and it'll latch and hold it in there permanently until you press the button and slide it out. So, I mean, if, if that sounds like the if you absolutely need to put it on your belt, that's the way you would do it. I never I've I have these clips and I never feel like I want to put a camera on my belt. I, I don't I've never been in a situation where I needed to have it on my belt. I can see how some wedding photographers that maybe want to carry two bodies so that they can switch really quickly might want to do that. But 
you know, I, I haven't done that. Don, Don, what about you? Have you ever had a need to, to have quick access to your holster? Well, like, like Lee mentioned, I, I use a hand strap for my camera, even though it's much yeah. bigger and heavier. Um, I just, a camera uh, of that size, you know, uh, for different reasons. I mean, I don't want that dangling around my neck. I mean, I'm going to get a neck ache mm. pretty quickly because of it. Um, so I have that on a hand strap. And uh, when I'm out in, you know, I, I've done a lot of traveling, especially in some uh, questionable areas, you know, doing some street photography in Eastern Europe and things like that. Uh, I have uh, just a, a brown leather messenger bag. It's not designed for photography. You can get them for photography, but you don't have to. Um, I just uh, glued some Velcro strips inside so that I could put some uh, little uh, camera bag dividers within that. And so I can just you know flip it open, take out my camera, take the sh shots that I need, have the camera ready. Maybe I feel safe and I'm walking around with the camera in my hand. If I don't see any photographic opportunities in the next little while, I just slide it back into the messenger bag style uh, bag. And that, that's worked for me quite well. And I haven't had a need to do anything else. Um, I can yeah. kind of take a, a small travel tripod if, if that's uh, what you might be considering taking along and uh, just kind of uh, close one leg around some of the, uh, the just sort of the strap that goes around. And the tripod mm -hmm. will just dangle off of that and it's perfectly fine. Uh, if I'm in a little bit of a sketchier area, I won't take the tripod because then it looks like I've got a camera. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's discreet, it's convenient and I just work with the scenario. Actually, Frederick, you reminded me of something because a couple of guys that I've, a couple of photographers I've shot weddings for, they've got like these straps that go over your shoulder so the cameras sort of dangle just on your side, almost like like a gun holster like you see in the old FBI mm -hmm. movies. Um, yeah. So that could be another option, if like particularly if you're in cold areas so you want to keep it inside your jacket. Right, yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. I, I think I still have one of those holsters as well and it's like you know, walking around like a gunslinger. You just well, I, I, I'm not sure that would work quite well in cold weather if you're constantly taking the camera out of the jacket, mm. because not only are you going to inconvenience yourself by being cold, but if you're putting it right next to your body heat, uh, maybe you're sweating because you're walking. Yeah. It will be the heat and the moisture and your lens will start to fog. So yeah, the next time point. you take it out, you might have a fogged up lens. So um, yeah, if you're looking for something sort of outside of the winter wear, the messenger bag has worked for me. It's not a solution for everybody, but again, uh, uh, Oscar's having a hard time finding a solution here and rightly so uh mine works for me everybody's got their own way to do it so maybe that uh, yeah. maybe our advice uh, will help him uh kind of choose his own path i know it seems like there should be like a i don't know like a like a a, a just a clearinghouse for all manner of ways that you can carry your camera around you know all the clips all the all the uh, harnesses, all the straps, all, all this stuff in one place. You know what? In the next five you years, see. you will have a drone that will follow behind you that will have your camera <laughs> mounted to it. And so that whenever you want your camera, you just reach behind you and you grab it. You know, that's going to be the best solution. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you only get 20 minutes of flight time. <laughs> True enough. So we'll see how that works. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to share our picks of the week. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, 
we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds. And expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, enter the code This Week in Photo or TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to, uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, let's jump into our Picks of the Week segment. Remember, you can pick anything to recommend to the TWIP Army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Lee Herbert, I'm letting you go first. What is your Pick of the Week? Cool. So this was actually, um, I think this was one of the stories a few months ago. Um, This is by a company called Breakthrough Photography, and they're a, a little startup in San Francisco, and they make filters. Um, and they make this um, ND filter called the X3 that they claim um, has zero color aberrations or any sort of color casts when you're using it. Um, I've only had it for a couple of weeks. I haven't had a good play with it, but so far I'm very, very impressed. It's um, unfortunately most of the, most of the ND filters that I use for video, it, it's easier for me to have variable ND filters. So just having a, you know, having a, mm-hmm. a three stop and a six stop and a 10 stop or an eight stop, it's a bit of a pain to have to keep changing them over. Um, but yeah, they sent me over the eight stop and I've been using it on a couple of uh, time-lapse shoots that I've had, uh, you know, for long exposures and stuff. And I'm very, very impressed um, with the costs. So, sorry, with the results. So um, yeah, have a look at it. I think they're, they're anywhere from um, 79 to $104, depending on which size and model you get. Um and they've also actually just started making um, circular polarizers, so I really, I'm keen to have a play with one of those as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with it. So yeah, if you if you're in the market for an ND filter, have a look. Nice. All right, can't go wrong with the ND filters. That's an essential part of your kit, right? So, and you know, it goes to us, we being uh, recorders, photographers, right? So recorders of light, being able to control the exact amount of light that comes in your lens. What about uh, Lee? What about um, what about polarizers and that sort of thing? So, are you 
do you have those in your kit as well? Yep. Yep. So, um, particularly for the video stuff that I do, you know, a lot of corporate stuff, you know, they love skyscrapers and skyscrapers have windows. So, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. being able to shoot through glass, um, yeah, got to have it, got to have it. Kill, kill the reflections. Mm. Cool. All right. Perfect. We'll link to that in, um, in the show notes, Don Komarechka, what about you? What's your pick of the week? Before I get to mine, I just want to echo what Lee was saying. I uh, uh, Breakthrough uh, Photography, they, they had a Kickstarter campaign for both the ND filter and their uh, soon-to-be-released and currently shipping to backers um, circular polarizer, which is on the way to me right now. Um, so I, oh. I haven't had – uh, it hasn't arrived yet, but when it does, I will uh, I'll t- take a look at it. If I like it, I'll buy their ND filter because – when I'm doing uh, when I'm doing work outside, I do a lot of landscape work uh, as well as my macro stuff. Um, I don't like using a variable ND filter because it inherently polarizes uh, the scene. Uh, it's it's cross polarization effects and what have you. And so, if you want to have yeah. a little bit more control and a little bit more quality, um, if there at least says it's great, well, maybe that's enough for me to just go and buy one right now. Uh, but I'm going to wait until uh, I get my hands on their um, their circular polarizer as well. So, but my pick is not really photography related, but kind of branding related in a sense. I found mm-hmm. that you know, I, in order to to sort of stand out in a crowd in uh, in the photographic world, but in the business world in general, I mean, you have to kind of have a style all your own and a touch of class in certain ways. And I I got these a little while ago. This is just a sheet of paper, but this sheet of paper um, has a custom watermark uh, put into it. And if I can take a little flashlight mm-hmm. here and kind of move this mm-hmm. over, uh, you might be able to see that cool. there is a watermark. Oh, I see snowflakes in there. Yeah, yeah. you see a snowflake on, on the page itself. And so the page, like it, it's just a, it's a white piece of paper, but it, if you were to hold it up to the light, you would see that. Um, and so you can take an image or a logo or something that defines you as, uh, uh, as a business or as a photographer, and you can it, pretty affordably get it onto a sheet of paper. Uh, now, I, I've been known to do crazy, like I, I print my invoices on this stuff so that it just gives it that extra sense of quality mm-hmm. for, you know, I'm mm-hmm. asking people for money and you know i'm i'm a very high quality uh a, a kind of establishment here but i mean i've got an antique typewriter and i type out letters on that thing uh and then so i how many times have you gotten a letter in the last little while frederick a handwritten letter you mean not a bill uh- <laughs> <laughs> no i mean like either handwritten or something on a typewriter or something not computer generated yeah, well, I mean, around the holidays, I get a lot because, you know, all the, the Christmas cards and all that stuff flow in. But it's been I can't remember the last time I got a, a letter that was handwritten, folded, inserted into the envelope, licked, stuck together, stamp on there. You know, if you want to make an remember. impact, if you if you have something to say to somebody and you want them to listen I mean, it's, sometimes it's just the old school way that nobody ever does anymore and do it right. I mean, on like I've got a, an embossing seal and a fountain pen and all of these things. If I want somebody's attention, there are many ways for you to get it. Um, I used a company called the uh, Chicago Watermark Company, and their, their website is horribly antiquated. But, you know, give them a call on the phone or send them an email. And uh, and so it, it cost me. I'm going to say about $50 more than just regular reams of paper uh, to get custom watermarked stuff. And so, I mean, for the cost and the amount of times that you use it, that's a really fun thing to have in sort of your business marketing kit. Uh, As a photographer, uh, if you're trying to make a business of it, you're a small business person and an entrepreneur. So hopefully some people can find that useful. I think you should kick it up a notch, Don Komarechka, and go with the 
the wax seal that that kings and queens well, used to so use. So I've got an embossing seal. It's probably hard to see on the video, but there is a little bit of a seal on on the actual paper itself. Uh, here, here's my my embosser. Uh, so I can I can make the the indentations with that there. I don't have a, yeah. a wax press, but that's a great yeah. idea. Maybe I should get one of those too. Yeah, the wax press is so that you can make sure that only intended the intended recipient has opened <laughs> the letter, right? So, you know, and then you can have them delivered by the the black crow or something. <laughs> I will put that on order, and I'll find somebody that uh, makes deliveries by carrier pigeon. There you go. Cool, man. Good. And yeah, make sure you put that link in there to that to the company that you had that done. Will do. Um, so my pick of the week is, you know, somewhat self-promotional. So I'm speaking at the Out of Chicago conference. It's out of Chicago, obviously. It's going to be in Chicago. And I am doing a number of talks there and a number of photo walks, as well as after hours hangouts and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Chicago is my home city. So if you are interested in coming, here's a code for you to knock. I think they're knocking $100 off for TWIP listeners. And that code is TWIP Chicago, all lowercase. So TWIP Chicago will get you into this event, event and you can save enough money to buy me a drink in Chicago when you come and hang out with me. So yeah, please check it out. And there's a ton of other speakers there. There's It's almost like a TWIP host extravaganza. I think the, the lineup that they have there is you know, reminiscent of a, a year in TWIP. So definitely go check it out. If you like TWIP, you'll definitely like the show. You can meet some of the hosts that uh, that do the show in person, shake their hands. And we're going to be recording an episode of TWIP from that show. So in front of a live audience, as opposed to a dead audience. So we're going <laughs> to record a show, record a show directly there. And you guys will be taking listener questions directly from the audience and all that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, so please check it out. That's my first pick. My second pick is based on, you know, okay, so when I first came back from Vietnam, we did a show on, you know, travel tips for photographers. And I was telling the guys, I think Valerie was on the show, I forget who else was on the show. But they were saying that, um, I was saying that one of the biggest issues there was clean, you know, doing laundry, because you, I brought a bunch of underwear, but you go through your underwear quickly when you're traveling, right? And you have to do laundry and it's a pain in the ass, literally. So, <laughs> so, so they recommended these underwear called ex officio underwear. So from this last trip that I went on to DC, I decided, okay, I'm going to do an experiment. Throwing myself to the wolves, I ordered two pair and that's all I took with me, two pair. So I'd wear one pair during the day. Uh, when I got home at night, I'd wash them, hang them up to dry. Next morning, I'd put the, the clean pair on and then, you know, literally rinse and repeat for the entire four days I was there. Worked like a dream. Perfect. Perfect. And I saved at least a pound and a half or maybe two pounds in my in my luggage. So definitely check them out. You know, I was reading some of the reviews on ex officio underwear for both men and women. And a lot of people, once they start wearing these kinds of underwear, they never switch to anything else. The, the negative of these underwear are for one pair, like one one pair of underwear is like 20 something dollars. So they're not cheap. Whereas for 20 bucks at Target, you can buy like, you know, a wheelbarrow full of underwear. <laughs> so anyway, so check them out. That was a that was a good that was a good tip that I tried. I ate the dog food from Twip and it worked out. So those they're called ex officio underwear. So and they dry really quickly. It's amazing. 
All right, guys, we are running a little bit long. I want to see what you guys have coming up in the coming months. Lee Herbert, what's uh, what's coming up from you? Uh, well, I'll just I'll I'll promote that um, review that I did of the Fuji XT One. The links in the show notes. Yeah. It's actually up on um, Fuji's website now. Um, cool. Other than that, I have been behind the computer editing like crazy because um, back in October, November last year, I went to Fiji to shoot. Uh, behind the scenes and a whole bunch of content from a photography workshop with a whole bunch of great people like um, Ben Fon Wong, um, Elia, um, Colby Brown, Nick Raines, Tony Hewitt. And we created a whole heap of educational content while we were there. And I'm currently putting that all together and we'll be um, making that available for purchase um, for people. And you're, at editing, some point. You're, you're the editor on all that? It's a lot of work. So it's 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 about four terabytes of content. Um, I can't think of a better person to do that <laughs> since you have so much spare time on your your left hand, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, oh man, cool. Yeah, so that so that, so that, that that's coming what up. In else, a few what months. else do you have coming? Um, other than that, um, yeah, just 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 corporate work that I'm not allowed to talk to talk about. No, I have cool. I have to talk to them, unfortunately, cool. but no, I can't talk about it. Got it. Got it. So yeah, the XT1 review and um, courses from the Fiji workshop. Perfect. All right. What do I hear? I hear somebody's car starting up. Um, <laughs> all right. Don, Don Komarechka. What about you, man? You well, I, I think I might uh, I, I might win the uh, the hours in Photoshop battle here. I'm spending at least four hours a day uh, in, in sort of the editing world. And that's because I'm in the middle of my Snowflake a Day project, which uh, this would probably be the last year that I'd do it daily because next year there's a baby on the way here as well. Well, it, wow. it, it's on the way uh, in, in mid-June, so we're, we're very much there's, looking forward to that. There, there's no maybe. The time's not going to be there. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't imagine so. So I'm, I'm getting it in when I can. And uh, so, you know, for, for that project, I, I've had some amazing, like a couple of days ago, we had one of the absolute best possible snowfalls that, uh, that one could pretty much ever hope for. And so this is, I just want to do a, a, a quick share of, this is the uh, the snowflake that I had posted today, which is a design that I'd never really seen before. And I spent most of this morning uh, editing this. Oh. And so it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty fun to see what can fall from the sky. Uh, when, it looks like a moon base or something. I know. Eh? And when, when and normally we're just kind of cursing and, and shoveling it off of our driveways and our cars, at least in this part of the world, Frederick. Uh, <laughs> so that's uh, <laughs> yeah, th those are the challenges that I've been that. facing, and that's been taking up a lot of time. I've done a couple of workshops here uh, recently, and I, I will have some more um, on the docket very soon. Uh, I plan on having some coming up in late March and April, and those you can find all about at uh, doncom.ca. Lovely. Perfect. Cool. And what I have coming up this week is, um, as we record this, so we're recording this on the 18th of January, 2016. So this weekend on the 23rd, Saturday at 2.15 p.m. in the afternoon, Pacific time, I will be co-hosting the new screensavers show over on the Twit Network with Leo Laporte. So if you are interested and you are at a computer or something, please swing by and check it out. You know, if you've seen that show at all, they've got a, a live chat running and all that goodness. And that show is really, really, really well produced. So please, TWIP listeners, come in there and support Frederick because I'm going to be nervous sitting there next to the man himself, the king of the This Week in universe. So <laughs> come, uh, come check me out. That's going to be on the new screensavers. And that's on January 23rd at 2.15 p.m. Pacific. I'll, I'll huckle you in the chat there, Frederick. 
please heckle me. Bring it on, man. Bring it on. I can take it. I'm press trained. All right. We are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsor, FreshBooks, for their support of this show. Without them, we would not be able to keep the lights on. And also be sure to check out our website at thisweekinphoto.com. We will link to Lee's and Don's social presences, their website, their Twitter, all that stuff in the show notes for this episode. So please head over there, check them out, follow them, link to them, like them, all that good stuff. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.